You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Convicted child sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, reportedly dead. Why did the so-called best and brightest want to hang out with this guy so much? Have you heard what the Wall Street Journal has uncovered? Bill Gates, who changed the way we live, right, with Microsoft, right, a computer on every desk. He did that. Well, was he being blackmailed by Jeffrey Epstein? It may have been over this woman. Two years ago, I said to everyone that I'm going to meet this guy. Nobody believed me. Um, last year, I played against him at the same table at the National Bridge Tournament in Washington, D.C. I didn't beat him, but I tried to kick him with my leg. All right, whatever. She's some Russian uh, bridge player in her 20s and came between, literally, Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Gates. They had some sort of fight over her. Uh, Epstein paid for her tuition. What it seemed to be kind of trying to get Gates to cooperate him in some other matter. These rich and powerful people. What is it about Jeffrey Epstein? What was it about him? I mean, he had an island. Okay, that is. Couldn't Gates and a lot of other people afford their own island? I don't know. He had a jet. Uh, is this why everybody was signing up to be with Jeffrey Epstein? And a very nice townhouse. These do not seem to be sufficient incentives to hang around with Jeffrey Epstein. And the whole world, I mean, the rulers of the world, showed up at this townhouse at various times. Yes, Bill Gates went to Jeffrey Epstein's house in Manhattan. Uh, the current CIA director, a guy named Bill Burns, hanging out there. Ehud Barak, the former Israeli prime minister. Larry Summers, the treasury secretary, president of Harvard. Uh, Prince Andrew, we all know about that by now, right? Charlie Rose. I mean, these are the titans or former titans of media. George Stephanopoulos went there. He said he knew nothing about Jeffrey Epstein's sordid past. Uh, Woody Allen and Chelsea Handler. Look, Anybody can be saved, right? But you have to want to be saved, and there's no indication that uh, Jeffrey wanted to do any of that, and every indication that he was still involved in all the stuff that he apparently loved to do that was incredibly harmful to other people. So when he dies in prison, that's the official word, right? He died in prison. Who ran the prisons? Ultimately, the Bureau of Prisons reports to Yep, the Attorney General, Bill Barr. And this is possibly the freakish coincidence ever. Bill Barr's father hired Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein was a private school teacher, math, even though he never graduated from college. And the guy who hired him at that prestigious private school in New York City was a guy named Barr. 
Bill Barr's father. The weirdest thing in the world. The world is a complex, weird place that often doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's why you can't have some amateur at the very top, right? You know who Byron Donalds is, the Republican from Florida? Superstar, future down the road, 2032, 2036, who knows? But listen to his take on who should be the next president. We have a situation right now where Russia is on the move and China is on the move. We need somebody who can step in day one, look at Vladimir Putin, look at Xi Jinping and say, okay, enough. I'm back. We're going to get everything in order the way it was has that ability. I think it's going to take him time. I think there's only one person who has that ability right now, and it's Donald Trump. Totally. Think about all the others who are running right now and who may run soon. Nikki Haley is declared. Does she have what it takes to go toe-to-toe with Vladimir Putin? I think we know the answer. Vivek Ramatswamy, brilliant guy. He'd be great in the cabinet maybe someday. Up against uh, Putin? No. Larry Elder is declared. Amazing radio host, commentator, but not up against Putin, no. Asa Hutchinson, give it up, please. And the most recent entrant, Tim Scott. I just, these guys, they're, they don't have what Trump has, experience, world respect. Those guys, it's going to take them three years to figure out what's going on. Um, by the way, Tim Scott, you saw him a moment ago. He did make it official today. Joe Biden and the radical left are attacking every single rung of the ladder that helped me climb. And that's why I'm announcing today that I'm running for president of the United States of America. I don't know. I don't know. Great guy. Uh, again, maybe in the cabinet, but what do you think? Uh, that was a lot of enthusiasm. That's great. But uh, 58 years old, senator from South Carolina. Uh, let's take another look. I can't tell you how much I mean this in the depths of my heart. I'm so proud to be an American. I hope you are. Are you proud to be an American? I, I can't hear you. I, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Oh, yeah. I don't know. What was that guy? Howard Dean in Iowa? There's hints of that right now. Anyway, I like him. I respect him. But why now? Uh, I don't think so. He says his story is a really compelling one. Everybody's got a story. You do. I do. He does. We live in the land of opportunity. We live in the land where it is absolutely possible for a kid raised in poverty, in a single-parent household, in a small apartment, to one day serve in the people's house, and maybe even the White House. The crowd was applauding all too much. They got in the way. That speech was too long because of the applause. Look, the whole story routine, I don't know. It's what skills do you bring to the table now? Barack Obama, he was really big on the story, right? Uh, single parent, oh, by the way. The father was off uh, back in Africa. I just, um, whatever. I don't care. What can you do for us right now? What are the skills? We know Obama had no skills. Um, and there was this. We, we need a president 
that persuades. We have to do that with common sense, conservative principles. But we have to have a compassion for people. We have to have a compassion for people who don't agree with us. We have to believe that our ideas are so strong and so powerful and so persuasive that we can actually take it to the highest points in the world. Some of the people who disagree with us are trying to destroy this country and they don't deserve compassion. Some of them deserve to be arrested. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to treat this with compassion. These are monsters who are after our children. This is an anti-American, anti-human agenda they have. And this is not the time for a kinder, gentler stuff. And that's the overall direction I'm picking up from Senator Scott. Uh, oh, by the way, he's running against Nikki Haley, who gave him the job in the first place. It is um, with great pleasure that I am announcing um, that I am appointing our next U.S. Senator to be Congressman Tim Scott. Hey. Uh, now, she's running. I mean, isn't there any loyalty in politics or at least like, I don't know, I'm going to sit this one out. You made me a U.S. Senator. I'm no big Nikki Haley fan, but she is governor appointed him as a congressman to the seat vacated by Jim DeMint. Remember him? Um, and then, by the way, Nikki Haley, who, I mean, I guess it couldn't happen to a nicer gal, huh? He still has a lot of popularity. If he runs again in 2024, will you support him? Yes. If he decides that he's going to run, would that preclude any sort of run that you would possibly make yourself? I would not run if President Trump ran. And she did. That's what politicians do. Back to Senator Scott, career politician. And uh, we need some of those, but what are the skills that he brings to the table? Is this really the time? He's 58 years old. He gets along with Trump. Trump wished him good luck in this quest. We'll see what happens. Is he running for vice president? Could that be? Career politicians. You know who's a career politician? This guy, former Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates. Now, he may not have held elective office, but very, very political, watching his every word, you know, very mindful of who's watching and who am I going to offend and should I say this now? He is considered a grand, wise man of Washington, D.C., and he had something to say yesterday on one of the Sunday shows. What do you think the biggest threat to the United States is right now? I think it is the polarization in the country. And... And, you know, we've always had polarization in America, but what's been different uh, more recently is not just uh, a measure of paralysis, as indicated by the debt uh, ceiling, but a level of meanness uh, and a lack of civility among our politicians. Meanness is the greatest, what do they like to say, existential threat to America, meanness. He's... He's, this is a shot at Donald Trump. This guy is so swamp, so much. He does not like Trump. I'm sorry. Again, back to the monsters. We have to stop this, all right? And uh, civility, kindness, uh, gentility, uh, not right now. Our country is disintegrating. We don't have, I mean, really, this is, we're in the fight for our lives right now. And you've got Joe Biden, AOC, not only allowing this stuff, encouraging it, rooting for it. And it's insane. What about President Xi, Mr. Secretary? Don't you think China is a greater threat 
than people saying things to each other on, on Twitter or on Truth Social. Again, career politicians. You know, he knew about Joe Biden way back when, back to Gates here, okay? He knew that he was not up to being commander-in-chief, had no business being president. He knew this guy, knew it firsthand, and he wanted to say it. But got to be careful because you never know who might hire you or who may want to give money to your institution or university or whatever. So watch him walk the line. Would he be an effective commander-in-chief? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I stand by that statement. I, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I don't know. I, I wrote something in the book and people can buy the book. Well, here's the book. Here's what he said about Joe Biden, all right? I think he has been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. And he wrote that years ago about Joe Biden. He's like, well, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I'd rather not. Um, fortunately, most men in America aren't this weak. Now, I don't know if most men in America are as strong as Daniel Penny, a man who stopped that subway terrorist. Uh, it is very unfortunate that Jordan Neely died. It's also unfortunate that he was high on drugs, psychotic, had been arrested 41 times and was threatening everybody on that train. Uh, I mean, nobody wanted him to die, but nobody wanted to go through that. Daniel Penny, oh, by the way, facing very, very serious charges. You know, he didn't think about his career. He didn't think about what somebody would say or the media or whatever. He just acted. And we need a lot more of that. We're with you, Daniel Penny, and I'll be right back. If you suffer from daily pain, I need you to listen to this message very carefully. As we age, aches and pains are normal, and we are all searching for effective ways to relieve pain, and safety is more important than ever. Let's be frank. We've all seen the horrors of the opioid crisis. You may even be affected by it personally, and that's where a groundbreaking medical scientist comes in, Clint Winters. You may have seen this world-renowned health expert featured in the national media as he unveiled a natural pain reliever that is taking the world by storm. Yes, I'm talking about Canoladine, Kono CB2, the 100% drug-free way to get full-body pain relief without dangerous meds. As you read this, Kono CB2 has become the go-to pain reliever for hundreds of professional athletes, tens of thousands of seniors, and the pain reliever of choice for the UFC. Clint explains how Canoladine is the only compound on earth that optimizes your body's natural painkillers called endorphins at any age. When taken daily, your body will get back to relieving pain like you were in your prime in no time. And let me tell you, the reviews are incredible. Thousands of others who've tried virtually everything have not felt this great in years. Their daily pain has just faded away. I'm talking back, neck, joints, all feel great and renewed. Best of all, Kono CB2 does not make you feel the least bit groggy. You feel great, alert, and ready to take on the day. And the very best news, Kono CB2 has no documented side effects after years in private testing. So whatever you do, make sure to visit tryCB2.com and check out Clint's amazingly informative report on how canolidine is changing lives by providing safe and powerful relief at one-tenth the cost of pain pills. Visit TryCB2.com to access the only canolidine product in the world. How solid is the evidence that it was the Russians? It's very solid. It's uh, indeed overwhelming. We do know this. The Russians offered help. 
the campaign accepted help. The Russians gave help, and the president made full use of that help. He was working on a deal that would require doing away with sanctions for him to make money in Russia. That is a real problem. And that is a total fraud and a liar, Adam Schiff. And he should be, quite frankly, thrown out of politics. However, believe it or not, his political clout seems to be on the rise. He could very well be the next United States senator from California. He's the favorite at this point. Uh, even though the Durham report exposed him and many others as total frauds, however, John Durham did these folks a favor. And this is a big problem of this report. It is obscured. The language is designed to throw water on the explosive allegations that are here, the explosive findings that are here. For instance, take a look at this, please. Uh, this is at the very end of the report, page 302. I know a lot of words here, okay? Throughout the duration of Crossfire Hurricane, facts and circumstances that were inconsistent with the premise that Trump and or persons associated with the Trump campaign were involved in a collusive or conspiratorial relationship with the Russian government were ignored or simply assessed away. Now that lacks some punch. This is better. Facts were ignored that pointed to Trump's innocence. But they write it in a way that obscures that. And it's done to, well, they don't want this to help Trump. It should have come out two years ago. And here's something else a bit more direct at the end of the report. FBI leaders asserted they would prevent Trump from becoming president. This is kind of amazing, isn't it? I mean, the FBI, the FBI ignored facts. Did you hear that part? They ignored facts. That is a malicious, I'm, it's a criminal investigation. You can't use our government. We gave them that stuff. They can't ignore facts, but they did. They did. And this report, the Durham report, written in such a way that guys like Chuck Todd can say this. I mean, this is what they were looking for. Gobbledygook. And they got gobbledygook. Take a look. If you only consume media on the right, you might be excused for thinking this week's 306-page Durham report on the Russian inquiry was a bombshell and damning, and that the investigation was an abomination and a soft coup. But... Special Counsel John Durham's actual sharpest conclusions after a four-year investigation were that the FBI suffered from confirmation bias and, quote, discounted or willfully ignored material information that countered the narrative of collusion between Donald Trump and Russia. The report recommended no wholesale changes to FBI rules for regulations or wiretaps, and Durham did not send a single person to jail, even though former President Trump once predicted that Durham would uncover the crime of the century. Oh, you see, Trump's wrong again. Oh, da, 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 da. Facts were ignored that pointed to Trump's innocence, and they knew it right off the bat. Yet, Shifty Schiff paraded on Sunday shows. He did something like uh, 35 appearances. So almost a third of the time, Shifty Schiff was on TV talking about 35 appearances on the Sunday shows over a year and a half period, talking about this stuff, which was not true. The Pulitzer Prizes have already been awarded and they're not going to be rescinded. The New York Times, the Washington Post, they got Pulitzer Prize for writing down the malicious leaks that came out of the FBI. And the Pulitzer Committee, my goodness gracious, what a bunch of... They should keep that trophy. Just get rid of it. Listen to these people. Most journalists consider the work they do to be a calling, one so important that the Founding Fathers protected the very existence of the press in the U.S. Constitution. 
Well, they also talked about freedom of religion. They also talked about freedom of speech, of citizens' right to speak. Uh, let's see. Freedom to assemble peaceably. It's not just the press. They always make it all about themselves. Anyway, they have a big ceremony and they hand out the trophies. And the incredibly pompous president of Columbia University gets things started. The citation for the Pulitzer Prize in Journalism for National Reporting, for a distinguished example of reporting on national affairs awarded to staffs of the New York Times and the Washington Post for deeply sourced, relentlessly reported coverage in the public interest that dramatically furthered the nation's understanding of Russia interference in the 2016 election and its connections to the Trump campaign, the president-elect's transition team, and his eventual administration. Congratulations to the New York Times and the Washington Post. And look at them. They dramatically furthered a lie. They were used. Willing, willing co-conspirators, I believe. And look at them getting their trophies, getting their pictures, the accolades, right? They love it. And they still have those silly trophies. Uh, when is there, was this going to be addressed? Is this going to be fixed? It really should be. Uh, I don't think it will. The media yesterday, I mean, the Sunday shows, this is what they feasted on for two years. No mention of Schiff, no mention of the Durham report, nothing like it never happened. Face the nation, the same deal. No mention of any of this stuff. They were found out, they were exposed. They're the last people, I guess, who are going to come forward. I already mentioned how uh, Meet the Press handled it. This is a big problem, though. I mean, the New York Times, there's no mm, deterrence. There's been no deterrence. You have to embarrass some people who are this wrong for that long. They're going to do it again. I mean, they have paid absolutely no price. And the same goes for the FBI. You know, the criminal justice system, you have to have punishment. You have to have rehabilitation. And you have to have deterrence. Nobody has been deterred at the FBI from trying this stuff again, I do believe. All right. Take a look at this, our nasty, nasty president in Hiroshima. Are Republicans negotiating in good faith? Okay, guys. It goes in stages. Mr. President. I've been in these negotiations before. Mr. President. Up. Shush up, okay? Shush up, okay? Shut up. He once threatened to fire anybody on his White House staff who treated anybody with any bit of disrespect, damn it. Remember that? Uh, he Today, he falsely said that his son, Bo, died in Iraq. That's kind of stolen hour. Why bring Bo into it? Bo was a great guy, but he died in Delaware, not in Iraq. Um, and I'm reminded, he's such a user. This man exploits death. He's been doing it, quite frankly. That's what, happened. That's what made him a star way back in the 1970s. Hate to say it, but he said much the same thing. Look at how we use death during COVID. My fellow Americans... There are moments in our history so grim, so heartrending, that they're forever fixed in each of our hearts, a shared grief. And that was at 100,000 deaths. He's running for president, okay? So he wants to use this issue. Or maybe you think, okay, he's, he's really mourning these losses. What happened at 200,000? We are under attack. As I said earlier, 200,000 plus have died. 
50,000 a day are getting the virus, 1,000 a day thereabouts are dying. This is a national emergency. All right, really fired up. Those numbers, by the way, inflated, as you know by now, right? They were inflated every step of the way uh, at 300,000. Today, our nation passed a grim milestone, 300,000 deaths to do this COVID virus. My heart goes out to each of you in this dark winter of the pandemic. All right, now he's about to become president and he's really gonna go into overdrive. I mean, this is the funeral director of the United States of America. Remember the empathizer, the consoler in chief. Between sundown and dusk, let us shine the lights in the darkness along the sacred pool of reflection. Remember all whom we lost. Between sundown and dusk, the sacred pool of reflection. Wow, I never heard it called quite that. Anyway, then he becomes president. 500,000 COVID deaths, remember, greatly uh, in enhanced. And look at all those candles. And here they come with the, yeah, the funeral director in chief. Because now look, it's on his watch now. Watch what happens at 600,000 deaths. Are there candles? No, there's a tweet. There's a tweet. That's all it was, a tweet. I know that black hole, blah, 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 blah. A tweet. At 700,000, the, the tweet was somewhat mocked, so they came out with a presidential statement. We must not become numb to the sorrow, but we can, we can blow it off. No more ceremony. At 800,000 deaths, this is where Joe's true colors, you see it all. When you, when you put it all together, this is who he is. President Biden on 800,000 coronavirus deaths. Um, if you have a statement on your responsibility, why haven't you uh, asked China to do more to be transparent on the origins? Literally laughing it off. 800,000 deaths. What happened? What happened at 400,000 deaths? What happened, right? Can I see the difference? 400,000 versus 800,000. It's on his watch, and uh, he's just going to laugh it off. This is a bad president and a bad man. I'll be right back. So, the NAACP. You don't hear about them as much as you used to. Number one, their name is somewhat problematic these days. I'm sorry, but National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. I don't say that anymore. And I hear they've had in debates about whether they change the name, but that's the name. And uh, maybe because they're not getting that much attention, they put out ludicrous statements and advisories like this, like don't go to Florida if you're black. Florida is openly hostile toward African-Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ plus individuals. Before traveling to Florida, please understand that the state of Florida devalues and marginalizes the contributions of and the challenges faced by African-Americans and other communities of color. This is uh, what, they sat around the room and how can we go big on social media? This has gotten a lot of attention. It is unfortunate. It calls to mind the problematic nature of their name, and this has no basis in fact, right? This is a response to Governor DeSantis uh, pulling certain woke classes out of the curriculum as is appropriate. Critical race theory in high school, it's insane. And oh, by the way, we did some research and uh, 
I don't think this is dissuading, fortunately, anybody, uh, especially people of color, from showing up at Florida's amazing attractions, okay? It's a, it's a great place. It's, by the way, more than 40% non-white to begin with. And this kind of, that's hate-mongering, hate-mongering from the NAACP. Now, America has gone pretty crazy when it comes to race, and nobody really knows how to talk about it. We should just talk about it, but there are all kinds of strange rules that you're supposed to follow. For instance, when something happens in, say, Los Angeles, and a motorist is attacked by seven guys, and the, the victim happens to be white, and the guys kicking him happen to be Hispanic, well, somehow that's not to be mentioned. Uh, you just call the guy a motorist, and you call these teenagers and bikers. Uh, and in this kind of occasion, don't talk about race like even on Fox News. Teens carry out a broad daylight beating on the streets of Los Angeles. And again, we want to warn our viewers here, the following video is graphic, maybe disturbing. It shows the assailants repeatedly kicking a man who is driving a pickup truck. You see there, he curls up in a ball on the sidewalk. Eventually, other men step in and scare the attackers away. The LAPD says the mob was made of rough, made up of roughly 10 teens on bicycles. A witness reportedly says they claim the man hit one of their bikes. Okay, teens on bicycles. Um, I have a feeling that if the victim were Hispanic or black and all of the teens on bicycles were white, that would be front and center for the story, no matter what the network. Um, Fair enough, fair enough. I don't like talking about the debt ceiling all that much, but it's confusing and it can be boring. I think they're going to work it out, but they better get rid of those IRS agents and Byron Donalds again on the Meet the Press show. I have never understood the resistance of extra IRS agents uh, unless you knowingly cheat on your taxes. Uh, that, first of all, that's, that's salacious, and you know that. Most Americans, by far, pay their taxes, and they do it honorably. What House Republicans, and frankly, the Republican Party is concerned about, is having IRS agents go after middle-class families and small business owners. When you have that many more agents, it's not to go after the rich. It's to yeah. go after the middle again, class. That's again, what it's if, for. So if you're, if you're paying what you're supposed to pay, then you should have nothing to fear. You would make the assumption that IRS audits are up that they're, they're mm -hmm. putting out more liens on the American people. That's not true. That data's not there. All Joe Biden's trying to do is find every possible nickel out of every couch from every American mm -hmm. to pay for his radical spending. Congressman Donald's amazing. And Chuck Todd, how about that, huh? Oh, they should not have anything they're afraid of. A, an IRS agent shows up and wants to conduct an audit. As long as they paid all of their taxes, everybody gets a bit nervous when the tax man shows up. And those forms are so complicated, sometimes two people steeped in the code can come up with different answers. I've heard of that happening. Chuck Todd, amazing. You know, when you add up his salary and the speaking fees and the rental income, he is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. He doesn't do his taxes himself. He's got a lawyer. He's got an accountant, maybe two. After all, his real estate, well, he's the landlord for United States senators. Did you know this? <laughs> he rented, Klobuchar rented a three-bedroom home in Arlington, Virginia, owned by Chuck Todd. He rented his house to United States senator and didn't tell anybody. Didn't tell anybody. Actually uh, hosted her on the debate. Actually, she's running for president. He's questioning her. No mention to the viewer. And he has her on that Meet the Press show. And never a mention, never a mention. I wonder if he's been visited by the tax man. He's ready.
but you and I, we should have no fear. As long as everything has been paid and everything right, if we've done it all correctly, you should have no... Unbelievable. How out of touch they are. I'll be right back. seem to have watched an anti-Asian hate attack. Um, the assailant, we can see right there, happens to be a black woman. And I haven't heard a word about this on social media. It's gotten very little attention. I wonder why that could be. It seems like it has a lot to do with the color of the victim and the color of the assailant, perhaps. I'd like to bring in Yutin Chu. She is the president of the Asian Wave Alliance, a nonpartisan political club here in New York City. Welcome back, and uh, how are you? That that was tough stuff to watch. Um, first of all, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. You bet. Now, listen, um, I don't think the numbers are all that accurate, and they're hard to find, but it seems like anti-Asian hate is up, but I also do not believe it's coming from white supremacists. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I don't. I agree with you, Greg. It's not coming from white supremacists, certainly not in New York City. We know that crime is still up and um, and Asian hate crimes are still up. The number one concern in many communities uh, of where Asians live is still public safety. And I think seeing videos like this and being worried about getting on the subway, walking the streets, is still very much top of mind for many of the residents in New York City. So what's happening here? Why are some crimes involving people of color when they're victims? It really seems to depend on who the accused is. If the accused is a white person, there's international outrage. If the accused is a, uh, is a person of color, African-American, whatever, uh, it's, it's brushed aside and very little attention. I think the word just might be racist or, or, or something. I don't know. But what's happening here? Um, I, I do see that the media, it does play up the race of the victims and the perpetrators. That is always the case versus really what exactly happened uh, in New York City. We do see a disproportionate number of um, persons of color that are often the perpetrators um, and you know, I, I think, you know, right now where there's a lot of news around um, a case um, in terms of the cho uh, chokehold subway um, killing that happened a few weeks ago, uh, that is very much being played up. Um, Asian hate crimes seem to not be played up actually as much in the last few months. But yes, the race is always the, the thing that the news media likes to play up. And by the way, it's not just, okay, they should talk about it or, you know, it's not fair, but there could be, there could be more of this. If people talked about it and recognized it as a problem, we might be able to fix the problem. And if we were straight with each other about who was doing this, 
maybe there would be pressure. Maybe there would be law enforcement attention. Maybe there would be something. I'd like to show you. This is uh, Brandon McGlone. Uh, back in 2020, he was accused of setting an Asian uh, UC Berkeley student on fire, will not receive any jail time, um, lit on fire inside a boba tea shop on September 14, 2020, with a blowtorch, also pulled out weapons, released from custody, will not receive jail time, will complete a diversion program instead. If, uh, if we change the races involved, obviously this would not be the result. I saw this news um, just yesterday, and I'm horrified how this person is able to get a, get get away with this crime, this horrific crime. Um, clearly, coming into a bubble tea shop targeting Asians, and nothing is going to be done. He's he's going to get off scot free. I'm outraged seeing this. So, what can we do? I mean, what? what well, I, I think I think there are a lot of things we can do. One is we just need to get tougher on crime. Um, I think anti-Asian hate crimes, anti-Semitic crimes are all subsets of just crime. I think we just need to come down on that, and and I think there needs to be um, more serious punishment. A lot of the crimes committed against Asians are by the mentally ill. They need to be off the streets and treated. Um, I think there needs to be more prosecution. A lot of times these cases come about, but there's very few convictions that actually happen. Um, so all of these things we need to address to hopefully deter these things from happening. Well, Yuten Chu, thank you for sharing your thoughts. The Asian Wave Alliance, how can we find that, please? Uh, AsianWaveAlliance.org. You can find us online. We're doing lots of things for the primary elections. We appreciate it very much. And uh, thank you. Thank you for like, having me. You bet. You bet. And we have to talk about the problem or it will never, ever, ever get fixed. And it may be awkward for some people, but quite frankly, who cares? Yutan, we appreciate it. And we'll be right back. Well, this is great, right? Graduation from college. Awesome. But there's a problem here. Uh, no whites are allowed to show up. This is a black-only graduation. Is that insane or what? Is that un-American or what? But it's actually happening. This is a growing trend, everybody, uh, excluding people based on race, something they can't control, something they did not select themselves. Take a look at this. At the University of Minnesota, they have this research program. It's an intensive 10-week summer program in which undergraduate students of color work full-time with a faculty mentor on a research project. Eligibility requirements, well, identify as a student of color or be Native American. And, uh, oh, funding details, each student will get 6,000 bucks. All kinds of stuff here. Can you read that? Looks a little bit small, but yeah, $6,000 stipend. This is obviously offensive and strange. William Jacobson is a law professor at Cornell University and the founder of EqualProtect.org. That's an equal protection project which is devoted to the fair treatment of all persons without regard to race or ethnicity, and they filed a complaint with the Department of Education. Sir, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. And this does seem completely outrageous and strange, and uh, I'm so glad you're involved. Um, the Ivy League, I'm a little bit surprised. <laughs> That's a good thing. Tell us tell us your thoughts on this and, and, and what can be done. Well, it's 
horrible, but it's unfortunately becoming very common. At EqualProtect.org, we see a lot of these. Almost every day we get a tip from people around the country about very similar open discrimination on the basis of race in the service of diversity, equity, and inclusion. For whatever the reason, these universities, but not just universities, also companies, feel that as long as the racial discrimination is against whites, it's okay, as opposed to other discrimination, which is bad. And of course, that's not true. It's uh, immoral and it's illegal, and we're fighting it. Uh, I happen to agree it's immoral and it's illegal, but there are some in academia who will say, like, it's. Im you may have heard this before, it's impossible for a black person to be racist. And because the structure is designed by, you know, whites and it's, well, that's critical race theory and that's white supremacy and everything they think. So, I mean, are there some judges out there who are going to take issue with you and say, uh, actually, this is not illegal and uh, this has to be addressed and work has to be done? Well, there are very, very narrow exceptions to the anti-discrimination laws, and this is not one of them. The general purpose of diversity is not an exception to the anti-discrimination laws. Um, there have been slight carve-outs, for example, for higher education. That might go away when the Supreme Court rules in the Harvard and UNC cases. But no, I don't expect judges, at least it wouldn't hold up on appeal, to say that it's okay to discriminate as a general matter against a particular racial group or skin color group just because you feel like it's good for your environment. So no, I don't think that's going to hold up. That doesn't mean they don't keep trying. This is really part of the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion ideology that now permeates so much of society. Um, so you must be incredibly busy. I mean, this is happening all over the place. You mentioned you're getting tips all the time and it's, it's everywhere, corporate America, education, uh, uh, in every facet of life, this insanity is is taking off, and it seems to be still on the rise. I keep hearing about, well, the pendulum's going to swing back. I don't feel that myself. Do you? Or what are you seeing? The pendulum has not swung back yet, but I think it's possible. I think that there's an outrage that's building in the country, and it's not just an outrage from, from whites. It's from all people. So, for example, in Providence, Rhode Island, we challenged segregated teacher events, and we also challenged a uh, new teacher loan program that was only open to non-whites, to minorities. And a group of black activists joined with us and said that this is wrong, that they want more diversity in the teacher force, but this is the wrong way to do it. So I think that once you get away from the academia, once you get away from the DEI bureaucracy, People instinctively know this is wrong. So I think it is possible, and that's what we're trying to do, is push back against this and shine a big light on it. Have you noticed that people, wealthier people, uh, people with more education, tend to be the wokest of the lot? They're really, because they want to retain their status, and this is the way to do it. But the trickle-down effect, you know, some kid who wants a 6,000 grant for the summer, wait a second, like this affects real people who are trying to make it. But I feel like the, the silly stuff is coming down from the top, people who want to keep their power. I think that's true, and that's a really good point, that there are people involved here. There are white students at University of Minnesota who are being deprived of an educational opportunity, and they did nothing wrong. What did they ever do to anybody? You know, this is really some sort of... Uh, noxious racial retribution that's going on, and you're punishing people who never did anything wrong in their lives because of the color of their skin. That's what 
the American civil rights movement was against. What we're seeing is a very regressive movement. This is not a progressive movement, even if they call themselves that. It's a regressive movement, taking us back to some very bad days where your lot in life was determined by the color of your skin and how you were treated was determined by the color of your skin. And we've got to fight back against it. And I think the majority of people in this country of all races and ethnicities know that what is happening in academia and corporate HR departments is wrong. William Jacobson, professor of law, Cornell University. I'm so glad you're involved in this. Let's go to EqualProtect.org. EqualProtect.org for more information. Thank you very much, sir. Great. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. So the fake news tried to tell us that this was the worst thing that ever happened. President Trump with a Bible in front of a church right after a race riot had been broken up the night before. I thought it was awesome. The reaction I could not believe. It's quite frankly why I wrote this book. This moment uh, led me to write this book, Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. A lot in there, especially about January 6th, for your consideration, and I'll see you tomorrow night.